Chapter 42 The Kiss That Blistered He who had freed Lazarus from the bonds of death now submitted himself to death. Judas led a band of officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Both Jew and Gentile united in the arrest of Christ. Though the moon was full, Judas had to give to the Roman soldiers a sign by which they would know our Lord. The sign he gave was the kiss. But before the torches could search out the light of the world, the Good Shepherd went forth to meet them. Judas had often been with our Lord in that garden where he took his disciples to pray. He therefore knew where to find him. The greatest betrayers are those who have been cradled in the sacred associations of Christ and his church. They alone know where to find Christ after dark. St. John, who was in the garden that night and witnessed the whole scene, said that nothing that happened took our Lord by surprise. So Jesus, knowing well what was to befall him, went out to meet them. John 18.4 Adam hid from God in the Garden of Eden. God now searched out the sons of Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the full consciousness of all the Old Testament prophecies concerning himself as the Lamb of God and of his self-willed offering for sin, he went forth in self-surrender. Addressing with overpowering majesty the multitude which had gathered, armed with swords and stones, he challenged them to name the one they sought. Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. John 18.5 They did not say, Thee, or Thou art the one. It was evident that even under the full moon they did not recognize him. That was why, too, they had prearranged a sign with Judas by which they would know him, the kiss. Strangely enough, those who are bent on evil cannot recognize divinity even when it stands before them. The light can shine in darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it. It takes more than lanterns and a full moon to perceive the light of the world. As St. Paul explained it, Our gospel is a mystery, yes, but it is only a mystery to those who are on the road to perdition, those whose unbelieving minds have been blinded by the God this world worships, so that the glorious gospel of Christ, God's image, cannot reach them with the rays of its illumination. 2 Corinthians 4.3 So he told them, I am Jesus of Nazareth. A paralyzing awe came over all of them, and they fell backward on the ground. His humanity was never separate from his divinity, as never the cross without the resurrection. A moment before he had been undergoing the agony, now the majesty of his divinity shone forth. Once before, the officers who came to arrest him were arrested by his words. The would-be captors reeled backward, for no one, as he said, was taking his life away. He would lay it down of himself. A thousand years before, the psalmist had foretold this incident, which happened figuratively to David. Vainly the malicious close about me, as if they would tear me in pieces. Vainly my enemies threaten me. All at once they stumble and fall. Psalm 26, 2. When Isaiah caught a gleam of God, he said that he was undone, and Moses could not look upon his face. So now the Godhead, dwelling within that human body which was about to be put to death, flashed forth to throw the soldiers and the rabble into a huddled mass. Never is there any humiliation without a hint of glory. When he humbled himself to ask a woman of the streets for a drink of water, he promised to give the water of life. When he slept from exhaustion in a boat, he arose to command the winds and the seas. Now as he delivered himself up into the hands of men, there flashed forth his glory. He could have walked away free, with the soldiers and his enemies prone upon the ground, but it was the hour when love fettered himself to unfetter man. Self-sacrifice seeks no vengeance. Judas and the others had no power to capture him unless he freely delivered himself into their hands. Giving his enemies power to stand, he, as the good shepherd, had only one concern, that of his own sheep. If I am the man you are looking for, let these others go free. John 18.8 He must go to sacrifice alone. 
The Old Testament ordered that the high priest must be alone when he offered sacrifice. No one must be there in the tabernacle from the time when the high priest enters the inner sanctuary to make intercession for himself and his family and the whole people of Israel till the time when he comes out again. Leviticus 16.17 This was his hour, but not the hour of the apostles. Later on they would suffer and die in his name, but presently they could not understand redemption until the Spirit had enlightened them. He would tread the winepress alone. They were not yet in a spiritual condition to die with him. In a few moments they would all desert him. Furthermore, they could not suffer for Christ until he had first suffered for them. The whole purpose of his redemptive death, in a certain sense, was to say to all men, Let these others go free. On entering the garden, the Savior had told Peter, James, and John to watch and pray. Peter now decided to substitute action for prayer. Taking one of the two swords which he carried, he struck Malchus, the servant of the high priest. As a swordsman, Peter was a good fisherman, for the best that he could do in his wild intent was to cut off the ear of Malchus. Though Peter's zeal was honest, well-meaning, and impulsive, yet it was mistaken in the choice of means. Our blessed Lord first touched the ear of the wounded man and restored it. Then, turning to Peter, he said, Put thy sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink that cup which my father himself has appointed for me? John 18.11 Here in contrast were set the sword and the cup. The sword wins by slaying, the cup by submission. Not the impatience of the violent, but the patience of saints was to be his way of winning souls. Often he had referred to his passion and death under the analogy of a cup, as when he asked James and John if they could drink the cup of his passion. Now he speaks of the cup as not coming from Judas, nor from the Sanhedrin, nor from the Jews, nor from Pilate or Herod, but from his own heavenly Father. It was a cup which contained the Father's will that, in love for men, he should offer his life, that they might be restored again to divine sonship. Nor did he say that a sentence was laid upon him to undergo his passion, but rather that he himself out of love could not do otherwise. Am I not to drink that cup? Furthermore, those who arbitrarily and presumptuously resorted to violence, our Lord told Peter, would feel that violence itself. Revenge brings its own punishment. Bodies can be conquered with unsheathed swords, but those same swords often turn against those who wield them. All those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Matthew 26.52 That was only a human lesson verified by history. Peter had yet to learn that he who seemed so weak was truly divine, that if he wished, he could summon to his aid an army greater than any of the earth. Dost thou doubt that if I call upon my Father, even now he will send more than twelve legions of angels to my side? Matthew twenty six fifty three. He used the Roman term legion. He had been arrested by what was called a cohort, or the tenth part of a legion, which numbered about six thousand men. He could have, if he had chosen, called to his aid twelve times six thousand to deliver him from his enemies. If there was to be an appeal to force, Peter's little sword would shrink into insignificance compared to the heavenly hosts under the great commander. But his refusal to summon the angels was not an involuntary bowing to a fate or a submitting to pain that he might be purified. It was rather a quiet surrender of some of his own rights, a voluntary abstinence from the use of superior force for the sake of others, a standing unchained with perfect power to go away and yet submitting for love of mankind. Such is sacrifice at white heat. Turning to the bloodthirsty crowd round about, he says, You have come out to my arrest with swords and clubs as if I were a robber, and yet I used to sit teaching in the temple close to you day after day, and you never laid hands on me. All this was so ordained to fulfill what was written by the prophets. Matthew 26.55 But what had the prophets foretold? To quote but one, Isaiah foretold how he would be counted as a wrongdoer by his enemies. Such is his due that gave himself up to death and would be counted among the wrongdoers, bore those many sins and made intercession for the guilty. Isaiah 53.12 A victim, yet he himself bows to the stroke, no word comes from him. Sheep led away to the slaughterhouse, lamb that stands dumb while it is shorn. No word from him. Isaiah 53, 7. 
Looking beyond all secondary causes, such as Pilate and Annas, the Romans and the Jews, our Lord saw not enemies to be defeated by a sword, but a cup offered by his Father. Love was the motive and spring of his sacrifice, as he said, God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten Son, so that those who believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 Sin required atonement or reparation. Being man, he could act in man's name. Being God, his redemption for sin would have infinite value. His human nature made him susceptible to pain and death, and therefore capable of offering himself as a sacrifice. Yet he had to be sinless, otherwise he himself would need redemption. The lamb used in sacrifice had to be without blemish. The love of the lamb had to be free. To compel the lamb of God to suffer would be the height of injustice. Hence the affirmation of power at the moment he delivered himself into their hands. What God permitted was as equally his will as what he appointed. Here our Lord refused to see the hand of his enemies in his death, but passed immediately to the idea of the cup his father gave him. In that love he reposed, even though the cup for the moment was bitter, for good was to come from it. Delivering himself into their hands, what our Lord foretold about his apostles now came to pass, and now all his disciples abandoned him and fled. Matthew 26.56 Peter, who had drawn the sword in defense against the cup, fled from sight. Later he secretly followed at a safe distance. John also crept on safely behind the mob to appear later in the house of the high priest. But Judas remained to hear the word hour the master had uttered first at Cana. This is your hour and the power of darkness. Luke 22.53 Many times he told his enemies and Herod that they could do nothing to him until his hour had come. Now he announced it. It was the hour when evil could turn out the light of the world. Evil has its hour. God has his day. He who, when he took on himself a human nature at Bethlehem, was bound with swaddling bands and laid in a manger, is now to be bound with ropes and laid on a cross. Once before, when his enemies attempted to arrest him, he arrested them with the force of his words. Now he submitted to arrest because the hour had come. The apostles, hearing the clinking of chains and seeing the glistening swords, forgot all the glory of the Messiah, deserted him, and fled. The high priest must offer the sacrifice alone.